Good morning. Uh, if you've got a copy uh, of the Bible, which you should because, you know, you're at your house. So uh, uh, go ahead and grab that and open up to uh, Exodus chapter 6 this morning. Uh, Exodus chapter 6. Uh, we're going to read the, the first uh, eight verses. And, and kind of while you're turning there, I just want to say this real quick. is uh, Today was supposed to be our church's 100-year anniversary. Uh, and so it's very um, heartbreaking for me that, that we're not celebrating with uh, hundreds of people in here today. Uh, but I want you to remember that today, uh, that, that our church is 100 years old and that God has been faithful to this church for 100 years. Uh, and after we're past this crazy season, we're, we're hoping and praying that God would continue to be faithful to this church for many, many more years uh, to come. All right. So Exodus chapter 6, this morning we're going to read uh, the first eight verses. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name the Lord I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, for what it does and how it changes hearts and lives. And so today I pray that as we look at these eight verses... I pray that the gospel would be heralded, that, that it would be spoken clearly, uh, that if there's anybody watching this uh, that, they, that, don't, that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that you would save them and open their heart to believe in the gospel. For my brothers and sisters in Christ who are watching this, Father, I pray that the gospel would just be an encouragement and a comfort and a warm uh, blanket for them uh, during these very difficult times. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to ask you, who is the gospel for? I mean, first off, obviously, if you're not a Christian today, the gospel is for you. In fact, it's the only hope that you have. The gospel is life itself for you. It's the message of salvation available to sinners only in Jesus. And it's the most vital news that you'll ever hear. But if you're a Christian, is that message relevant for you? And the answer is obviously, yes, it is. Because the good news about Jesus Christ should be both a source of life and a fountain of encouragement and strengthening and disappointing and in trying times. So at the end of Exodus chapter 5, Moses has taken his complaint to the Lord. And at the beginning of chapter 6, God responds with a string of promises. All gospel promises. And what I want you to see is that these promises are given to Moses. They're not given to some lost sinner, but a chosen mighty prophet of the Lord. 
God proclaims the gospel to Moses to bring comfort, to bring encouragement to his heart. And Joe touched on this last week, but, but I often think we, we make the mistake of thinking the gospel is just kind of like the entry point to Christianity, and then after that we kind of move on to other things. I know growing up um, as, a, as a young man, when I would go to church, um, anytime the, the pastor began to, to share the gospel or preach the gospel, I would just kind of tune him out because I was thinking, well, somebody must have brought a lost friend, right? And the pastor knew about it. And so he's trying to get after that guy and trying to, trying to share the gospel with this guy. And so that message doesn't uh, pertain to me. Uh, I'll come back and listen uh, whenever he's talking about some of the deeper things or some of the things that, that pertain to me. And maybe many of you have a similar story where the gospel was proclaimed, you were saved, and then after that, the focus in your heart turned to going deeper, right? To, to try to maybe figure out the exact sequence of events when Jesus would return, or maybe you sought some new anointing or a fresh revelation, whatever those things mean. But whatever it was, the, the gospel was seen as, as basic, as elementary, or as the shore from which we set sail to go and explore deeper waters. But what I want to tell you this morning is that the gospel is not the starting point for the Christian life. It is the Christian life. Tim Keller says it's not the ABCs of Christianity, but the A to Z of Christianity. It's not the first step in a stairway of truths. It's more like the hub of God's wheel of truth. All other Christian virtues flow out of the gospel. So hear me, if you don't know this message today, you need to hear it. And if you do know this message, no matter how mature you are or, or no matter how far along you are in your Christian life, you need the encouragement of the gospel preached to you today. And that's the lesson God has for Moses. That's the lesson that God has for us. So look with me, if you will, in Exodus chapter 6. Look at verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Now we touched on some of this Wednesday night, but, but God starts by reminding Moses of something that we need to hear in our day. He reminds Moses that he is always in control. At the end of chapter 5 in verses 22 and 23, we see Moses crying out to God and asking him, Hey, where's this deliverance that you promised my people? I mean, why did you even send me, God? I told you to send somebody else. This is not working out the way that I thought it would. And right here in verse 1, God responds to Moses by saying, Look what I'm about to do. Theologians have a word for this. It's called sovereignty. When we say God's sovereign, what we mean is that He reigns supreme over the universe that He has made. That He sits on His throne and He rules with a strong hand. The Westminster Confession of Faith says that God from all eternity did by the most wise counsel of His own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. See, God is sovereign over all things. So what it means is that when trouble comes, He's still in control. So whether we understand the situation or not, we can know that He's working to accomplish His glorious purpose. See, God's teaching Moses a gospel lesson. He's trying to teach Moses that we have to trust in God alone for salvation. Sometimes God allows trouble to continue to teach us to be patient. 
Moses is just like us, right? He thought that salvation would start the moment that he started obeying God. He thought that he was going to run in, tell Pharaoh what to do, and it was all going to be over. But see, godliness does not guarantee immediate results. And God's plans often take time to unfold. I mean, by this point in our story, the Israelites had been waiting 400 years for their salvation from the Egyptians. Even though God could have saved them at any moment, it wasn't part of His plan. See, God wants us to lean on Him. I I told this to you for five years, but I want to remind you that God will always give you more than you can handle. God is always going to put more on us so that we won't rely on ourselves, but instead we'll rely on Him. So what He's teaching Moses, what He's teaching us is that when trouble comes, we need to remember God is still in control. So, So you need to hear that right now, that we can trust His sovereignty in the uncertain times that we live in. But the second thing I want you to see is that God always remembers his covenant. Look at verse 2. It said, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groanings of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now in the Bible, when it says God remembered, it's not like he forgot to set a reminder on his phone. It's not like he forgot something at the grocery store. When it says God remembered, it means to bring something to mind in such a way that's a prelude to action. In other words, when the Bible says God remembered, it means that God was about to work. Back in chapter 3, God told Moses, my name is Yahweh, that I am the God of your fathers. I will keep my covenant. I will bring you into the promised land. I know, I've seen, and I've heard all about your suffering. And then he repeats himself here in chapter 6. See, when God repeats things, it's because we need to hear it more than once. So much of the Christian life consists of being reminded of what we already know so that we can apply it to a new situation in our life. So once again, when trouble comes, we need to be reminded that God is still God. He's the God of history. He's the same God who promised salvation to Abraham. He's the same God who brought Moses out of Egypt. We need to always be reminded that God knows what we're going through, and He fully intends to keep His promise. See, Abraham knew God as promise maker, Moses came to know God as promise keeper. We we sing that great song here at church, promise maker, promise keeper. And that next line is so great because it says, you finish what you began. And that's the lesson that God is teaching Moses. That's what he's telling him right now is that Moses, I will finish what I started. The same lesson applies to us. When God saw the people he loved enslaved by the power of sin, he remembered his promise of salvation. In Luke chapter 1, verses 68 and 72 through 73, Zechariah prophesying says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us. See, God remembered His covenant in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus was born to keep the covenant that we couldn't keep. He died to pay for our sins on the cross, suffering the covenant curses so we could be forgiven. And he rose again three days later, showing that the check he wrote for our sins cleared the bank. Now he stands at the right hand of the Father. So when things are difficult, when we're suffering, and when we're overcome with discouragement, remember the gospel. That God has kept his promise to us in Jesus Christ. Psalm 105.8 tells us that he remembers his covenant forever. That the word he commanded for a thousand generations. So Christian, the gospel is for you. And God's going to massage that same message into Moses' heart in these next two verses. All right, verses 6 through 8 are marked by seven I will statements made by God to Moses. So he wants Moses and us to know that salvation from beginning to end is accomplished and carried out by God alone. So look with me, if you will, in verse 6 through 8. God says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So the first I will statement says that he will bring you out from under the Egyptians, that I will deliver you from slavery. See, salvation means release from slavery and bondage. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is transfigured in front of his disciples. Right in front of their eyes, he's blazing with light as his majesty and his glory are revealed. And Luke tells us that while he's up there on this mountain, that Moses and Elijah appear with him, and they're talking about his departure. Luke chapter 9, verses 30 through 31 says, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That word departure is the Greek word exodon. They're talking about the cross. So the language they use to describe the cross is is Exodus. This is the salvation that the Exodus story is, is pointing us to. The Exodus story is the template for our salvation. Jesus saves us from the slavery and bondage of sin. Revelation 1.5 says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. John 8, 36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, Jesus brings freedom. And we all want to be free, right? I mean, right now, we want to be free from the fear that stalks us with the coronavirus. We want to be free of our children. Amen? We want to be free of our spouse, maybe, because we love them, but yet we've been cooped up in the house with them for several weeks, and we're about to kill each other. Like there's all kinds of freedoms that we want, but the most profound freedom you can enjoy is spiritual freedom. See, the scriptures tell us over and over again that true freedom is found only in the grace God provides to his people in the blood of Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus can give us true freedom from the bondage to slavery and sin. It's only found in him. But the next I will statement is is right there at the end of verse 6. Look what he says. 
Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And check this. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So the next I will statement tells us that God will buy us back, that He'll redeem us. This is one of the first times the word, is re- word redeemed is used in the Bible. See, later on when the children of Israel reach the promised land, they'll be told that a redeemer was to be a kinsman who was responsible for avenging a murdered relative, redeeming an enslaved relative, or providing an heir for a deceased relative. The story of Ruth is is a great example of that because if you remember, Boaz was a kinsman redeemer for Ruth. The redeemer was a close relative who acted as an avenger, protector, and provided provider, even if that meant personal loss for them. So what did God tell Moses back in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22? He said, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. God's saying that he is their kinsman, that he will act as their avenger, protector, provider, even when that meant personal loss to him. And the redemption of the people of Israel is just a small glimpse of the brighter redemption that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. In Jesus is true redemption. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, that Jesus offered himself his own blood, securing eternal redemption. See, by nature, we are in bondage to sin. We are not free. But the good news is the price of redemption has been paid, that Jesus can make you free. Jesus was enslaved and mistreated and crucified for our sins. Our debt has been paid. You're free by his grace if today... You believe in the gospel. Look at verse 7. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So when God saves and redeems and gives freedom from sin by the blood of the cross, He does so much more than that. He makes us children. This is called adoption. In Galatians chapter 4, verses, uh, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The Puritans would say that adoption was the highest privilege of the gospel. That there is no higher blessing than the blessing of adoption. So brothers and sisters, this is why we need to remember how important the gospel is. See, we spend way too much time looking for experiences and uh, and powerful encounters and all these different things in all the wrong places. There is no greater truth in the Christian life than this, that you are a child of God. One pastor has put it this way. He says, the love of God takes us wretched slaves of our own sinful passions, destitute of worthiness of our own, filthy in the rags of our selfishness and our pride. He takes us and he does much more than wash us clean, much more than forgive our sin, much more than set us free. He calls you beloved child, precious son or daughter of mine. 
brothers and sisters, stand in awe of the gospel today. Allow the gospel to shape you. Allow the gospel to be the thing that grows you. You are a child of God. You've been adopted by God Almighty. And finally, in verse 8, look what God tells Moses. He says that I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So the last I will tells us that we are made heirs. That God made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And the promise was a country, was a land. Now God's going to keep that promise. And that same promise goes for us. See, if we're forgiven and redeemed and adopted, that means now we're heirs to the estate. Galatians 4, 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So listen to me. If we are in Christ, then one day we've been promised a land. We've been promised a place to rest. A place free of sin. A place free of sickness. Listen, a place free of plague and disease. A place where suffering is no more. A place where we will finally see Jesus face to face. A place where we will worship the God who saves us through His gospel. Notice verse 8. It concludes by reminding Moses for the third time that I am the Lord. He tells him this in verse 1, in verse 6, and in verse 8. He wants Moses to remember, and he wants us to remember, that salvation from beginning to end is the work of God. Every aspect of the exodus was going to be accomplished by God. And see, our salvation is no different. Jesus is our liberator. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is the one who's adopted us into his family. Jesus is the one who's made us heirs, and we have done nothing. It's all an act of grace. So listen, this morning, if you're watching this, you, you need Jesus. You're enslaved to sin. You're without hope. And, and listen to me, I, I pray somebody in our community hears this, that no matter how good you try to be, it's never going to be enough. You need somebody to do that for you. And so today is the day of salvation. Philip Ryken says, all that is required is to trust in Jesus, believing that he's turned the I wills of salvation into the I have done it of the gospel. That's good news. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is deep water. You, is the deep water you've been looking for. Swim in it. Allow it to come for you in this time of uncertainty and despair. As we look to the gospel, we see our God keeps his promises. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. So listen, when you're wondering what God is doing in the trial, when you're wondering if He is trustworthy, when life seems to be getting harder and not easier, and I think that's where a lot of us are right now, can you lift your eyes to the cross to see how God keeps His promises? God used the defeat and the weakness of the cross to bring salvation to all who would believe. Look to the cross to see how God brings triumph from defeat. Look to the cross and see that right now in this time of, of this virus and of everything just being upended, that God is at work doing something that we couldn't believe. 
that I believe that when we look back on this years from now, we're going to see how the gospel impacted and, and, and changed lives because of what God was doing in this moment. Look to the cross and know that you've been adopted, that you've been made an heir, that you've been given the promise of a new heaven and a new earth free of suffering, sin, and pain. A new land where we will worship Jesus. Folks, that's where our hope is in times like these. It's the gospel. And hear me, it's the only message that we need. So if you would, please pray with me. I thank you for this day and I thank you for the words of, of hope and comfort that we get out of your word. I thank you for the uh, gospel promises that are found in Exodus chapter 6. I thank you that you are the Lord, that salvation is your work from beginning to end. I thank you that you are the one who will do everything for us. So I pray right now that if anybody saw this today and did not know you, that as the gospel was proclaimed, that you have saved and changed their hearts, that they would reach out to a trusted friend or somebody and say, hey, I didn't know Jesus, but today something's changed. For my brothers and sisters at home, for my brothers and sisters that are wondering what's going on right now and, and we're all struggling with this, I pray that they would look to the cross, that they would see the hope and the comfort that we have because of what Jesus has done and how Jesus has liberated us, how He saved us, He's redeemed us, He's adopted us, He's made us heirs, and He's promised us a land one day free of suffering and sickness and pain, a land where we will be with Him. And that is where our hope lies. And I pray that that message brings comfort to hearts today. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Listen, I love you guys. Stay safe. If you need anything, understand the church is here. Give us a call. Call me. Call Joe. Uh, call one of our deacons. Uh, we'll do whatever we can to help you. Love you guys.